Hello and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. I'm Oliver and I'm joined by my co-host Gus. Tonight you'll be staying in room 161, Knock at the Cabin, the newest film directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So go ahead and get comfortable and throw on that do not disturb sign as we try to make an impossible decision with Knock at the Cabin. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. You see, the four of us have a very important job to do. In fact, it might be the most important job in the history of the world. Shyamalan heads and thank you for checking back in to the Grand Cinema Hotel. As always, I'm joined by Alvaro. What's up guys? And uh, we're here to talk about a very special movie. But before we do that, if you're listening to this on YouTube or any of the podcast platforms, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you got to do to support the show. Uh, But we are here to talk about a new film by a filmmaker who has been a big part of my life, that's for sure. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. Alvaro. Uh, first reactions oh knock at the cabin yeah m night Shyamalan. i mean um one of the first dvds that i remember seeing some of his horror movies it was uh signs and also the sixth sense my dad really likes those movies and um i think it's kind of where the biases come from for me um i'm not gonna act like i have been updated on any of his you just told me before this recorded that he had a tv show that he was doing um, I am much more invested now after this movie, though. Um, he gets a lot of, you know, um, just shit for having the like kind of his regular tropes of always there's going to be a twist at the end. Um, I felt like there was a more mature director here, and I felt that the... Um, how basically finding out later this is kind of from a book and how he ended up depicting the stories and the themes of the book, I felt were really... Um, captivating in this movie and i honestly i think you kind of said in the beginning kind of like we have a fun one today i, I think this movie is really fun um i think it this this movie kind of um uh, has some of that james cameron avatar effect where uh, it takes itself seriously with its camera movements and it really um, makes you feel like the pressures of like the, the situation that's here i think the visuals help a lot and i honestly was really impressed with this movie i think um I wasn't expecting it to like it this much. I know we were really excited to go watch it when we did, um, but I felt like it really paid off. Yeah, so I'm a, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of his uh, work, but I have had v- uh, many memorable movie moments in my life that are uh, connected to him. So I saw The Sixth Sense and uh, Signs and The Village uh, all in the theater when I was you know pretty young, and I remember these being just uh, moments that I'll never forget. You know, I don't want to spoil any of those moments. If people haven't seen those movies yet, maybe this is your first Shyamalan movie. Um, I would say definitely go back and uh, check those out. So, you know, the first, I even saw unbreakable in the theater as Mm -hmm. well. Um, I haven't had to, you know, what's funny is I always think of unbreakable and then I always think of uh, the untouchables and then I get them mixed up in my (laughs) head. Which one is, is which one again? Yeah. uh, Anyways. Yeah. So unbreakable with Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel Jackson. That's one of my dad's favorite movies. I remember walking out of the theater and my dad, uh, you know, my dad's kind of a muscle head and, uh, 
him being like, what if I was Bruce Willis's character? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he like, felt like, wait a minute. That really hit for my dad, that fucking movie, right? It's like when uh, people relate now to the Marvel character, that was your dad a long time ago with that Yeah, show. and I mean, hey, it could be argued that that's still the best superhero origin story uh, yeah, that's exactly. ever been committed to cinema. Exactly. And uh, it's, it's M. Night. Uh, so I was excited for this movie. Um just kind of off the back of old because old is one of the most confounding movie experiences I've ever had in my life. I somehow love that movie, hate that movie and feel every emotion that you possibly could. (laughs) Um, Every time I watch old, I'm not sure. I'm like, wait, is this working for me or is this not working for me? But um, I don't know. Something about knock at the cabin has kind of made me like old even more Mm -hmm. just because it's so different from knock at the cabin. And I do think it's great that a director like him can kind of pivot and move into so many different uh, types of storytelling. Yeah. Because old did feel like it was, Oh, here's Shyamalan doing his Shyamalan thing. Right. And um, I do agree with you that it's more of a mature take, I guess on his, like a retrospective of his career because he's been around for so long. Yeah. But um, I do think that this is one of the more successful films. Uh, overall, I do think that his middle period is where he got the shit. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, He made yeah. The Lady in the Water. He made The Happening, which we have on screen now. And then his two big just blasphemous cinema moments are After Earth and Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Right? And um, what you're saying with uh, the James Cameron stuff, like, there was no amount of sincerity that could uh, make those movies good. No, it, like some it, of these other ones that we have. There was no reason to think that he didn't care about those projects either. So it is just sad to be able to see. They're just be like, not good. And he tried it. Yeah. And it just, I don't know what to tell you, man. They're yeah, just those doing, are just not good movies. They're set up for failure. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I do think, though, that that middle period of his career really did um, do a lot of damage to the brand. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think ever since the visit, though, that he had, which I haven't seen, but I know that that was kind of the beginning of the uh, the Shyamalan essence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, he's back. He's, he's back, back yeah. right? And then uh, Glass and Split and things like that. But for me, this of his, uh, I don't know if you could even call it late period because he has so many more films that are coming out that have been confirmed. This will maybe be a middle but period at one point, right? He, he, I guess it's like the end of his middle yeah, period. Yeah, exactly. We might be right? talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Who, who knows how much longer he'll be going. But um, I do think that this is this is uh, another right step in that direction of uh, putting put their respect on his name. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I will say that it that seems that ever since that middle era, he's been trying to come back into um maybe i wouldn't say that maybe the studios don't see him as but it seems like he's just disrespected now you know in all honesty and it seems like a lot of the he's trying to crawl back to being known as what he was before this middle period um and i personally i think with this movie like you said it feels that he is kind of letting us know that all these other decisions that he might have made in these other movies were creative decisions to go outside of the box but that he is very masterful at what he knows he's good at and i think um to really pull off such a stylish movie and what I would never really consider for quote unquote a horror thriller movie, um, just really to me knows really shows off that he knows where his direction is going in this movie. Yeah, um, I do think that he he has been punished for taking bold swings. Yeah, exactly. Right, so um, he doesn't get the same respect as maybe somebody like a uh, I don't know like a Steven Spielberg or somebody like that or or even now like a, a Jordan Peele right yeah but I always have felt that Shyamalan works in the same 
he's, he's of the same cloth as directors like Jordan Peele, Steven Spielberg, and Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. where they're extremely, extremely entertaining directors that make these very sincere movies with these messages that they really believe in. They're these out there concepts, but they're grounded in reality. So I do think that he is just kind of, um, it's easy to, it's easy to, to bag on him, but he's one of the more, uh, creative out there directors honestly honestly in like mainstream ho- hollywood whatever that even means nowadays but i, I think it's uh because it's weird it's and he's uh, a name brand that's the thing i was yeah. kind of getting because i mean the, his name the is qts you have the ptas you have the nolans right but you don't really have somebody who's such a popcorn movie maker like m, m. Night Shyamalan and the, other than him he really. tossed that name around too in any horror movie and people know what to expect that's what i mean whether it's whether it's people, this is a, this is obviously a argument for others or a conversation to have. Whether his lows are really that, I mean, whether his highs are really that high, I mean, that's where I think it's like um, where it doesn't work to his benefit. Is I think his highs are, to me, are impressive. Like we talked about signs and sixth sense, but maybe it's something they're not really seen as like um, classics yet, you know. But I think that his lows they should are, be honestly. Yeah, but I do think that his lows are so low that they kind of erase the the highs, you know what I mean, for some people. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a what have you done for me lately, right? And yeah. We do talk about uh, the Twitter world and how they do the, oh, this is my this is my moment now to tell you why he's always been, been garbage, bad, yeah. right? As if a director's never allowed to make a bad movie, right? Correct. But um, one of the other reasons I really appreciate him as a director is because, you know, this man's living the dream. He self-finances these movies. You know, he'll mortgage his own house to make a movie. And he... Um, he refuses to give up that control. You know what I mean? Exactly. He really is a, a true auteur in that sense of he's writing these things, he's directing them, uh, and he's financing them. So, you know, he really puts his money where his mouth is and backs these projects. And that's something that is really commendable to me, honestly. Exactly. Is that, he, you know, he sticks by his guns and he'll die on these hills that these are the movies I want to make. And, um, you know, this is probably because that middle period, you know what I mean, of like being so low where they were like, OK, maybe he's he's done for. We're not backing him anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like Francis Ford Coppola making Apocalypse Now. You're like, you know what? I'll pay for this shit myself then. Yeah. And if it works out, I'm going to have the last laugh. Yeah. And I, I I do think it um that's a great point to bring up that. I don't know if these self-financed movies are he does it out of because he wants to have full creative freedom whether he does. he's a con- absolute control freak out of his own mouth he and, said that himself and like whether that's the reason why the movies that are bad have also been bad but i think it's you got to respect that he's at least willing to take 100 percent of like no this was me doing this and i think um maybe i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here but we'll touch twice upon this is that another reason why this movie really stood out to me is i think that he really showed off here his director prowess in terms of the acting performances he gets from the crew here and the cast and i mean we've talked about how much we love dave batista on this podcast little we, glasses we thoroughly do believe that he is the best uh, actor the wwe has had um and I, I think that this movie just adds again as to why i think i want to see him in more um, serious roles, which he himself has kind of gone out and stated. Um, I think you had made a great point that I kept thinking about this all week, that this movie only mentions how big he is once, and he's such a delicate character that you completely forget that this person could crush, crush you with one of his arms. Yeah, so, so I mean, I've, uh, I'm not ready to talk about the cast entirely yet, but yeah. Batista is the stand, or Dave Batista, sorry, let me put some respect on his name. He's not the wrestler anymore. Yeah. 
Dave Batista, though we love that too, is phenomenal. Yeah, he, and he, um, I think one of the differences between him and some of the other WWE crossovers is that he's not a movie star; he's an actor. Exactly. You know, and uh, I was watching a, a press junket that he did for this movie, and um, I think it's takes with Jake, right? That's the guy who was interviewing him, and he was saying that he was like, "Why do you make these like interesting choices?" Which is a funny question, right? Yeah. But he asked him, and he's like, "Where, where did this come from? The idea of." Like, I'm going to seek out working with Denis Villeneuve or M. Night Shyamalan, right? And it's because he said he said it was because he was so bad at acting when he first started that he wanted, like, I don't want to be a rock star or a movie star. I've already done that in the WWE. Exactly. And I find acting itself to be extremely challenging and extremely rewarding when it's done right so that he's, you know, he's taking the time to go out there and really hone his craft. And uh, like as for his appearance, it's it's kind of like a it's the white elephant in the room, right? It's like, how are you not going to mention it? But he said that he doesn't want to be known for being the big meathead, you know, so it, it would be easy for him to take the action role, which would be fun to see. Of course. But um, he's like, I want to be known as an artist. I want to be an intellectual. I want people to think I'm intelligent and well-spoken and that I can uh, have, you know, a real performance that makes you feel something when you leave the theater. And I think he he knocked it out of the park this is one of my favorite performances uh that he's done and it's so subtle right exactly it's so nuanced um there's there's so much pain and torment behind him it feels like he could like hulk out at any moment but he he really doesn't you know there's yeah. there's one moment here and there where you know he kind of has to use his size because of the circumstance that he's in but it's a regretful and remorseful thing when you see him do it so i kind of love that too it's more it's a maturity thing from the director the actor you know like yeah. how easy would it have been to just write the scene like and then he manhandles them <laughs> you know yeah I mean? yeah and then but no he, he didn't and um yeah i mean i i could go on about batista all day but i do want to talk about kind of our uh our theater experience and our first reaction to uh, watching the movie. Yeah, I get you. Um, not, not just a side note that I didn't think I'd ever really talk about here, which is the WWE, <laughs> because uh, Batista, us both kind of watching it pretty actively in our childhood. Um, Batista was the reason he left WWE was because they didn't really want to give him a leeway to be in movies and be more of an actor. And I think I kind of think every day that, the WWE didn't have faith in him because it kind of pushed him to take just this route more. I don't think he's ever, he hasn't really come out in WWE in a while now. And I think that um, the fact that he, he has gone out of his way to purposely prove to people that he could become a better actor, I think really does almost prove to me when we have certain actors that we go to movies and think they don't deliver, they're like, why aren't you a better actor? Because I've seen Dave Bautista go from somebody that probably was not given any chances to only working with directors that I put Robert Pattinson in the same group as. So, um, <laughs> Are you throwing shots at The Rock and John Cena? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just think it's the fact that he was, he is Drax, and as of right now, he still is, and we know there's rumors of where that's supposed to go, but um, it's the fact that he does, he is cashed out already in terms of he was Batista for the WWE, he's Drax for the MCU, so let him cook, let him have what he needs outside of that, and I'm here for it, honestly. You know, I I'm, I'm wonder if the, the theory about the little glasses is true, and I wonder if it works in all walks of life. Like, if you get little glasses, would you just become, like, an exponentially, like, better podcaster? Softer. I think we need to find spoken. out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we need to... Uh, 
get some Patreon money or something so we can buy you some really small glasses and just see you become the most intelligent some person. Some Jekyll and Hyde yeah. glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, you're just the smartest podcaster that's ever walked the face of the earth. can make this roadcaster alive. <laughs> uh, so... First uh, theater experience and first reactions, right? So Thursday night, local AMC. Um, I'm getting excited because I'm thinking that this would probably be a packed house, right? I was yeah. like, okay, Shyamalan, like uh, the, he gets the people going, you know? Or we gotta for have, movies, baby. We're gonna have the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for movies. Um, but unfortunately, it was kind of empty, um, and I was kind of disappointed in that because I thought that this was the, the the type of movie that would play well with the big audience. I thought it would get a lot of oohs and ahs. Yeah. Um, that, that it would bring a lot out of people. But unfortunately, um, not not too good, right? Off the off the uh, box office stuff. I was expecting, you know, the barbarian crowd. Yeah, right? Or like the Megan crowd. Or the Megan, like the yeah. whatever, You know, whatever. Just the, I'm here to see the new horror thriller movie. Yeah, I, I, I was a little disappointed in that. But I guess in the reality, guys, and I think we've talked about this before, is... It's disappointing for a little bit, but then we realize we're the only people who care about shit like this around, or at least around where we live. So then it just kind of comes back to grounded stuff. I'm like, okay, whatever, I guess. It doesn't really take whether we think it's good or bad, but it does suck to enjoy a movie so much like this that you find fun and be like, nobody's here to watch it, though. Yeah, I know, because it is one of those movies where it's like, trust me, you'll have a good time. Like, whether you like it or don't like it, this is definitely going to bring out some reaction. I don't think anyone who saw this movie, whether they loved it or not, walked out of it and was like, I felt nothing. Yeah, there's no <laughs> you way. Know? You know, I, I just think it's too That's much. not what Shyamalan does. No, it's not. I, I think there's so much, and that's why it was really, you know, just um, happy with this movie or impressed with this movie was just how much... Um, emotion it carries and for it to be a horror film i think there's so much um vulnerability in his films and i think um you kind of talk about dave batista's character i just think that's why he just kind of works so well for the movie he kind of culminates the whole stressfulness that the movie has like there's this eeriness that comes from his character knowing something going on but yet it's so delicate and so loving and comes from a place that um just like our setting here it seems very beautiful but it's kind of at the same time, isolated, right? Um, yeah. It's I, I again. We're obviously going to get deeper into this, but it it, it just seems like he, he every everything is firing on all cylinders for this. Oh, movie. from the moment the movie starts. Yeah, too. seriously. So, uh, but I wanted to talk about some of the uh, the setting and stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but so it's shot on location, right? So it really is shot in some cabin in the woods, um, using '90s lenses, right, to give it that '90s thriller look. Um, and it, you know what's funny is it, it looked like older Shyamalan films. Yeah, it did. So like, uh, the interesting thing was is that it was shot by Jaron Blaschke, right? Oh, so I didn't, Robert cool. Eggers' boy, yeah. right? It's because he does, uh, he also shoots um, episodes of Servant, the the show His on show. Apple, yeah. which I have not seen, but uh, because of uh, Knock at the Cabin, I'm definitely going to check it out, right? Making Jared Blaschke, um, I'm in. Yeah, definitely, man. If he's shooting TV shows, I'm sure they look extremely interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring that up is because uh, no light was used in the cabin, so the all of the lighting in there is natural uh also no bouncing either so they're not even reflecting the light that is coming in so it's all just from the windows and um through the doors and stuff like that and it really gave it this grounded like realistic look yeah um along with the the choices that he makes with the close-ups or the wide shots and just how much um 
he's a visual storyteller, right? He he's always gotten flack for how he writes his dialogue because yeah. he really does write it in a way where it's like, has he ever heard two humans talk to each other? Yeah, right. That's where it gets. Uh, but because he's so entertaining, I think that he does blend a lot of genres at once. So sometimes I can give it the benefit of the doubt that it's like, well, he kind of he wanted that to be funny, right? Yeah, exactly. But then there is other times because humor is so subjective that you're like. What the fuck, right? That didn't and work. that is one of the things that I felt with old the first time I watched it. And then the more times I watch it and the more times I watch it, I'm like, no, okay, like, I can see why he would do this. And um I think all of that kind of goes away in this movie. I think it's a extremely well written movie. I think that our two uh I guess they're protagonists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh Andrew and Eric. Yeah, our our two daddies. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, our two daddies. They give us really just uh, grounded emotional performances, and it's so believable that they're exactly. this like perfect, happy little family. Yeah, I, I um again, we're gonna so get more. So this is all to Shyamalan's credit. Is I, I, I exactly because kind of kind of going back a little bit more because I know we're gonna touch about it more than actual characters. The setting, though, I had mentioned this to you. It's just thoroughly impressed that you can make me feel this way when this movie ninety percent of the time takes place in the same spot. So it's it's what's one of those like play movies. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which usually I just I already kind of have like a uh, when I when I'm in one of these movies, but for this, it totally worked for me. You just thought, you just wouldn't think like I, I walked out of it and I was explaining it to my um, having conversation with like the convert the, the movie that connected to me the most with it was the whale, which I was not expecting. You know, oh, like um, of re- recent movies. Yeah, because of that same thing. It's set in one very enclosed uh, space, and it's supposed to cause this, um, like in other, in other movies, it could be a mundane type of thing. Like that could throw me off, like what you're talking about, because you kind of get bored with the same premise, or um, how much more interesting could a room be shot? Um, and I don't. I really think he shows, shows how much more interesting a room can be shot in this movie. And um, I, I just think that's thoroughly impressive to be able to make me feel that way in a cabin. So, I mean, I never thought we would be talking about the whale while we're talking about this movie. Exactly. But you could even make the argument that the whale has better actors, right? But I would say that M. Night Shyamalan is a much better director than (laughs) Darren Aronofsky. And uh, the reason I say this is because um, I do think because of the visual storytelling that Shyamalan can direct the hell out of one room in a way that Darren Aronofsky cannot you know, like for uh, the whale, to me, it's a detriment that it takes place in one house or one apartment, actually. And uh, I don't find it to be visually interesting at all. Right. And I guess you could say that's a stylistic choice. But um, that one is more like the play, though, that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, exactly. So it, it makes sense. Exactly. But in a in a bad way, you know yeah. what I mean? But in this sense, Shyamalan just really knows how to fucking put the camera in the right place or, well, you know, to tell his DPs how to put the cameras in the right place and how to light these things and just get these these tense moments with these close ups and then in these wide shots to just give you so much thought of like, okay, what's this character thinking? What's going to happen next? Like, oh, he's looking for the window. He's looking at the door. Like, is he trying to plan his escape? You know, like he just gives you so much to chew on without any dialogue at all in a way that I, I didn't feel that way in the whale. And I we're only talking about this because it's the last two movies we saw that were self-contained yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. settings. Right. Mm-hmm. But man, it was so riveting to watch this movie. And I do think also it was the runtime as well. The fact that it was only like Tight, yeah. a buck 30, a buck 40, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we were in, we were out once it started, it never stopped. Yeah. And, uh, 
God, this is just one hell of a film, honestly. I, I don't want to spoil it at all. I don't know how much we actually want to talk about the movie because this is this is part of the the whole package when you get into one of his movies, yeah. you know? And it's like, no, 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 you just have to see it. Yeah, I, you, I, can't I can't tell, tell you anything you have about to watch it. it, you know? But um, I do think a place to go from here would be, uh, we got to bring up that it was a book, right? Mm. Um, although I never like to use the... What did it take from the book? What did it not take from the book? Because honestly, a movie should stand on its own. Yeah. Um, you fail as a filmmaker if uh, I have to read the book to understand your movie. You know, like you had a yeah. mission to, uh, you know, summarize this whole thing and uh, put your spin on it. And if I still don't know what the hell the whole point of this is and I have to go read the book to get it, then you failed. I think that was uh, something because you would kind of shed light to me with that about it being a book and the decisions, the different decisions that were made. But I think that's where the movie really just shows off how well of a director, again, M. Night Shyamalan is because I think what we get here is his depiction of the book. And I think that for him to be able to visually cue me in or emotionally be able to connect me to what he thought the book might have been about or what the book was commenting on, um, I think is probably one of the hardest things to do. Like if I read a book and you don't like it and I like it, but I'm able to make a movie to convince you about why it is good, isn't that really like really impressive you know what i mean um i think it's really hard to try to get people to see it the same way that you see things yeah i think this movie is just him showing that off honestly so i do know that the 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 ending of the book was kind of seen as unsatisfying right that Mm -hmm. it was too ambiguous and it left people with too many questions so Pretty dark though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, if you if you want to watch the movie or read the book and then you know see what those differences are, um, you know you're you're more than welcome to. But I I wasn't gonna do it because I didn't have the time. And also, the reason this episode is a week late is because I lost my fucking voice, right? So I wasn't really in the mood to do a ton of research on the differences. But um, from what I have seen, I do find this to be a much more satisfying ending, especially for um, a film, right? A film. And not only for that, maybe Shyamalan knew that if he was to use the original ending, it's like, this is just going to be more points to the people who don't like me of like, look, see. And then he just, well, see, I yeah. almost gave it away. Yeah. Like, but you know what I, I get mean? What you're like, saying. look, see. It's true. See. Like, and then he's like, no, you know what? The the twist in this movie is that I'm going to give you an answer. Be like, yeah, because so. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, because it had it been like had end how the book that you had shared with me, um, I think it goes, see, this guy just thinks he's made. Isn't this weird? Right. And it's like uh, now I do feel like there's actually um, a general audience sentiment that could be taken away from this in terms of, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? You know, mov- movies, books, TV shows, they're all different forms of um, storytelling. Right. So. Movies out of those three specifically have to have the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know, like I know you're not the biggest TV fan, and I've always wondered: is it because it's beginning, middle, 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 and maybe in ten years you'll get an ending, or maybe it'll get canceled and you'll never get the ending, right? And um, when a movie's only an hour and forty minutes and it's so well constructed and it's got it's got a uh, well it's got a message obviously because this movie really does <laughs> uh, yeah which I'm still kind of like pondering like how much do we really talk about the movie I think we at least have to give the uh, the setup right yeah and then it's it's from there but um, yeah anyways uh, are you ready to give the synopsis I mean I can yeah. do it it's it's pretty simple uh, so you know we have these 
this perfect little family on vacation, kind of getting away from a secluded cabin. And uh, four strangers show up who have claimed that they've had visions of the coming apocalypse and that they have been chosen by God to come and visit this family to kind of help them make a sacrifice for uh, if one of them will sacrifice themselves that the world can be saved. So we're essentially dealing with an apocalypse conundrum here, right? Is uh, what do we do in this situation? How do you make this impossible decision? And uh, that's where you're going to have to go see it. I don't want to tell you guys about all of the twists and turns that the movie takes, but that setup on its own, oh man, that is like that's so riveting to hear that. You know what I yeah. mean? Be like, so would you kill one of your family members to save the earth? Yeah, like yeah. come on, we all know that ninety percent of people are gonna be like, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> like, and, you know, so. and also the first logical question to any of these: Why the fuck should I believe that this is actually happening? I think exactly. any any reasonable person, so. and I think that the movie really does go through our characters have reasonable, um, you know, emotions to what's happening, and I think that's where. It kind of gets really interesting because we know, based off of some of the interviews we've heard of him, it's not like M. Night is really religious himself. And to really tackle um, something that's actually really filled with religious allegories, whether you see the Bible as a history book, like a book full of stories, or if you see um, the themes and consequences that come with the Bible, I think that M. Night here is perfectly playing in the middle. I know that, um, like I said, he's obviously stated on what side he stands on, but I think that he really comments on what it is, the choices that religious um, kind of like rules make us be confound to and like the emotions we should have and the greater good aspects that we should have following religion, but then how the human aspect comes into that in logical sense. Um, And I I just thought for a movie that when I saw the trailer for it, I just was more, the more kind of thrilled for how fun it would be or how um, maybe even in the first in my head, I thought it would be gnarly. You know what I mean? I, yeah, like some kind of torture porn movie. Yeah, like I, yeah. I thought um, I could tell Dave Bautista's character was supposed to be soft, but I just thought it was going to be turned up to 11. You know, everything outside of the trailer was going to be like, no, they'll find out things and they're going to have to escape and it's going to be like a bloodbath to escape. Yeah, so I, I would say that this wasn't the most... Uh this is a really good trailer and not because uh, of what they show you specifically, but because the premise is just so fucking juicy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it really, really is. I don't know if I'm just telling on myself and maybe some other people are like, oh, it's not that interesting, honestly. But uh, for me, that's like just like it's just one of those simple questions that like, how could you make this decision? How could you not make this decision? Right. Um, so it just had me from the second I heard of hurt, like heard about it and yeah. then saw what it was. Um, so there was nothing that wasn't going to get me to see this movie. Honestly, yeah. like I was so excited for it. It's like you read, you read the synopsis and stuff like that. And we have for other movies, you know, sometimes we're lucky enough to read stuff like two years before it comes out. I know it was like that for us for, well, now Bo is, Bo is afraid. It was Disappointment Boulevard. We'd read those premise, that premise over and over and over again. And you could be invested in the premise. But the second that trailer comes out and it's either exactly what you thought it would be or not at all what you thought it would be. Yeah. That's a, that's when I'm in, you know, because I'm like, oh, man, like I, I, I love this idea. And because this looks like nothing I thought it would be, how is this going to be executed? Exactly. And uh, when we saw the trailer for this movie, I just... Those shots that we talk about how the movie starts in the trailer, that's how the movie carries itself throughout the whole runtime. Um, obviously, there's shots that are very um, general, not like not you wouldn't say they're crazy creative, but for a lot of its runtime, the movie does try to 
like I would say just for lack of better words, spice it up, make it more interesting. Um, knowing that it just has that one setting in the woods and in the cabin, it really does do different stuff. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, it, 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 I'm thoroughly impressed with the, the decisions that M. Night made for this movie. Yeah, I mean, he definitely is the type of filmmaker to just spicing things up because why the fuck not? Yeah, right? exactly. Like, I'm sorry, guys. You know, style should be just as important as substance. I hate to break it to the people who like mundane lighting and boring track or not boring tracking shots, but just boring setups and simple shots. But make a fucking movie, dog. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, I think one of my favorite shots in this movie, this isn't giving too much away, is, you know, there's a fight that takes place and it's shot like it's fucking Creed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And why the fuck not? You know, like. I'm so sick of seeing boring things in, in movies, you know, and I love that there's just certain directors who are like, I'm never doing anything boring, whether it's good or bad. You cannot say that this was boring. Like, yeah, I, it's it's the fact that it's like so disoriented in a, in a shot um, that later you might end up finding out that you're like for a certain character that's happening to be good. He fucking deserved it. But at the time, you just feel really disoriented uh, in terms of, OK, so what's going on? And why does the camera look like this? And I think like the movie really like M Night knew that 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 was the emotion the crowd would have at that point, and then to throw these creative shots. Uh, one of my favorite ones is when uh, a weapon is drawn and the camera does the vertical, like it changes from horizontal to vertical at the same time, and kind of just does like this swing. Mm -hmm. um, I told you just because we've obviously we've talked about it various times on here how I I don't like James Wan's writing. Um, but his style choices for necessarily a lot of the action shots in Malignant were some of the stuff that was in here. And yeah, exactly. You wouldn't. I just it's it's we the things that we bring up to compare M Night to is not things that you would um, necessarily think that they would ever be compared. And um, for Malignant to have some type of I'm not gonna say influence, but for them to have similarities in the way that they're shot, considering their subject matter, um, I think just really speaks about what we t we talked about. M Night knows that we're here for a good time and why he, not he's also you know I, it sounds funny because he's a director but he's a, a movie lover you yeah know exactly I mean? some guys are kind of like oh i made a movie so you know i haven't watched a movie in two years They're like what the fuck right yeah. <laughs> to me i'm just kind of like that's why your movie sucks because <laughs> you don't watch enough movies yeah. right but uh i wanted to kind of bring up a few things uh that we've we talked about earlier so uh, I wanted to start with uh, just kind of bouncing off what you're saying with the malignant thing. Uh, this movie kind of reminded me of us a tiny bit. Yeah, right? yeah, I see that because of the contained uh, setting, uh, because of the uh, the bigger you know, than the break in. You know what I mean? Like the choices that's, that's gonna are gonna uh, be made. The kind of apocalyptic ending, Biblical, right? Like a yeah. lot of it kind of reminded me of us. And obviously, the difference is the story itself, right? Mm -hmm. And the choices that have to be made. But I could see a lot of that connection there. And I know that Jordan Peele likes M. Night Shyamalan's yeah. work. So to see it kind of reflected back, like, hey, I see you, that you see me. me. And I want you to know I see you, you. too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they're all they're both just being like, you know who we really fucking like? Steven Spielberg. And then Steven Spielberg's like, you know who really made some of the most interesting movies of all time? Alfred Hitchcock. Right? And then the other thing was that I felt like, uh, Shyamalan was reflecting on, uh, or not reflecting, but that signs was kind of a nice companion piece to this movie. And it's because of the religious stuff that you said, like, we do know that he is, um, 
well, I hate to put words in people's mouth, but, you know, agnostic atheist, mm-hmm. right? But the scariest part of Signs is that, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that's probably almost fucking 30 years old at this point. Uh, the scariest part of the movie is that Mel Gibson realizes that he's lost his faith and that this is all happening to him and that this is like, oh, shit, God is real. Holy fuck. These aren't aliens. These are demons. Be like, And that's why the holy water kills them. My wife had to die because of this certain way. My children have these things that are, quote, unquote, wrong with them because it's actually God protecting them from these uh, demons, you know, like I don't know if this is a newsflash to you, but a lot of people have misconstrued that those are aliens in signs, and it's actually a religious movie about a uh, a lost priest finding his faith again. And the scariest part about the movie is that oh fuck, all these things that I thought were not real are real. Be like, that's an interesting thing to me. The idea of like how scary would it be if God actually was, was real? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, as an as an agnostic, it would be. Um, one of the scariest things oh, ever. Should I have some apologizing to do? Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. fuck. I was wrong. Uh, exactly. And I just think at 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 its core, that's funny, but also the fact that it's very tragic too. And I think for some um, kind of this this I don't know why because uh, I think it's because he was doing knock in the cabin. Some um, he was like at the red carpet. They had recently asked him his favorite movies, and he's kind of getting some shit for it because. There are a lot of really popular movies. Well, let me guess. He picked four of the greatest movies of all time. He right? was like, Jaws like is really, He was like, Jaws is really good. And yeah, it's like, exactly. Okay. Yeah, you know what I mean? And like, he gets shit for that. But I think it's like, um, what I really took from that is that he, what kind of you're talking about, the accessibility to know that the movies that he's tapping into, he might like movies that other people might not think are good, but he knows they're entertaining. And um, that is what he looks for the most. And I do think that he's also become a more mature director. He's shown in very aspects of his films throughout his all like his filmography and like you said in signs um that he could also be very mature with his subject matter too even though it's entertaining this will be a fun little sidebar to kind of get us off the movie for a little bit but you know how do you feel about the whole gatekeeping of popular movies i mean he's not wrong jaws Close Encounters, Raiders of the Lost Ark. These are some of the best movies of all time. So why is it... What is this whole thing of, like, you shouldn't say that The Godfather is the best movie because that's that's uh, cliche or obvious at this point. But is are you wrong to say that The Godfather is the best movie I think it's, it's because that's like, that's, like, the people's court's choice. And as a director, you're kind of put in a higher pedestal of being an artist. And so people expect you to give answers to a movie I have never even fucking heard of. And, um... Whether the, I don't I don't have an opinion on that because I think it's that's why I would uh, ask Robert Eggers what are your favorite movies but I don't think someone like M Night Shyamalan's career would point to me that his favorite movie is an Ingmar Bergman movie you know which is so funny because Persona is one of his favorite movies of all oh, time see? yeah and see? I don't know if you saw the Criterion Collection video of him where he's in the Criterion closet or I think he is it might have just been another movie but he's holding up Persona and he's talking about so many of the ideas I had for old or um, camera sequences and stuff like that Keep i got from persona yeah see like and i was just i was just hitting one out of the like but it's it's that that like, um, he just so happens to be a huge ingmar bergman fan. yeah and it's like um but that's not the films he makes you know what i mean but it's the fact that i do think that um when you watch an ingmar bergman movie um the emotions that you come out of that and the and the human condition that is present in those movies is somehow input into his movies that you kind of said the but weakest part way. the weakest part about his movies are the dialogue and that's kind of like it's weird to be able to want your characters to really resonate with emotional like emotional themes with the audience when your dialogue is really janky and i think that's when some movies kind of like um 
I think the one that's on right now, I've never seen it, but it seems like that, like from the people that I've talked to or have read about, that seems to be the biggest issue with like a movie like this. Oh, it's, like the happening? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's the jankiness and how um, they, they talk to each other. And I think no detriment, even though we've already kind of shit on him before, but that's like kind of like, you're not, you're good at giving direction, but Mark Wahlberg, I don't know how well he is at taking your direction, you know? It reminds me of a tweet I saw today and it was like, you can tell the merit of a director by how well of a performance they can get out of Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, is he Mark Wahlberg or is he somebody else? You know, and, and I don't think um, this, this was at a part in his career where Mark Wahlberg could have like, there was no thought that he could have done serious roles like this. And these were some of the ones that he tried. They didn't really work too well, but I don't necessarily think that is M Knight's fault. But I also think that those, those movies all worked against his um process and his way to usually write a movie it didn't work out a couple of times but he never really swayed away from his process you know uh i like what you brought up with the whole like ingmar bergman thing because it's like no he doesn't make movies like him right but then it's like the people who who would usually be like oh like ingmar bergman is my favorite director are people like robert uh exactly that's what i was thinking right but those people, the people who don't like those movies or don't like Robert Eggers think like, oh, you're like a pretentious asshole who thinks he's like the second coming of Ingmar Bergman, right? Yeah. But then you have like the Jordan Peels, the Steven Spielbergs, the M. Night Shyamalans, who it's like, this is the stuff I love, but then I'm going to do it in the, and like, don't, this is probably sacrilegious, but like, I'm going to do it in the entertaining way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I do think it's interesting though that there's the, you can take it two different ways, right? Which is like, you can go the M. Night Shyamalan, Steven Spielberg route of like, <laughs> like, or well, I, hold on, I kind of want to backtrack what I'm saying here, like how I'm setting this up. Like, S- Steven Spielberg makes very entertaining movies, right? M. Night Shyamalan makes very entertaining movies. But the things that they're influenced by are the quote unquote boring, pretentious, stuffy, exactly. uh, snobby, fucking scholarly cinema, right? Uh, yeah. But then you have like, the Quentin Tarantino's of the world who would be like, oh, I'm going to be a little gatekeeper here and be like, actually, Ingmar Bergman sucks. Yeah. You know who's actually better? John McTiernan. Be like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. No, let me tell you why this action director is 10 times better than Ingmar yeah. Bergman. And, it, and he is the opposite of kind of like taking a full throttle into what you would think M. Night's favorite movies would be some of Quentin's favorite movies or uh, vice versa. Just because you don't make movies the same level doesn't mean that you're not like, uh, it shouldn't be to the detriment that you're not Ingmar Bergman. I mean, only he is. (laughs) I mean, it's like kind of a little bouncing a little bit out of the subject, but like uh, George Lucas, right? It's like Lawrence of Arabia. Um, Star Wars is a Kurosawa movie. Yeah, and like... uh, he was like, okay, I love all these things about this movie, but how do I put it where he, this is no detriment to Star Wars because I love it, but how do I get someone like a kid to be able to understand the same things? How do I make it interesting where the side things aren't just a regular knife, but it's like a lightsaber? So you're drawn in by all the other things that I know that you're going to be drawn in by because that's why we make movies. But how do I really translate these themes also very well to where an adult who is watching this movie, that's when they think the movie is good. It's not just... Um, you know, we feel this way about Dune, for example, where there's themes in there about things that are found in those deeper movies. But you're, it's also kind of um, mixed well together with just cool stuff or um, blockbuster type of uh, sets and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like Dune is a great example because it's based off of like religious ideas, socio-political ideologies, 
right? Like traditions, milita- culture, like, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> the military and stuff like that. Uh, fucking royalty and taking over lands and stuff like that. But then it's like, how do I make this interesting? Because it's kind of stuffy and boring. Well, I'm going to set it in the future on a desert planet. And that's what's going to make you want to uh, actually take in these real life, real world like issues, but like, but in a interesting, fun way, instead of just, I don't know, picking up some history book or reading some book about uh, religious theory or things like that. You yeah. Know? It's like where we're, we're given through Paul Atreides has to grow up without, you know, like a, a father figure and he has to now be like step up and be a leader of you know a big group of people and i think that is the premise of a lot of movies we've seen uh, maybe a lot of smaller movies and all of my movies where it's just the best friend conquering something or a personal situation something like midsummer right um but then to be able to watch that movie Gains themes and then put it into something like I, Knock at the Cabin. I think it's interesting that you brought up Star Wars as well because, like, that's probably one of the issues with uh, the newer Star Wars yeah, movies, exactly. right? Is that they've kind of lost the idea that they were supposed to be uh, masking like real world shit, but with lightsabers and space duels and all of this stuff, exactly. you know? Because, like, uh, do people forget that, like, the Empire are literally supposed to be Nazis? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, the the rebellion, a- like, overthrowing governments and stuff like that? Yeah. Like, and uh, that's probably why something like The Last Jedi is so divisive is because Ryan Johnson, like, gave a real, like, take on, like, what, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if this hero that we all love decided to like reflect on his life and realize like I've been doing things wrong the whole way. You know what I mean? Like, a, no, a, just give me the baby shit. I want the club shit. Oh yeah. Right? Because like he had a very human reaction to the situation and uh, a situation that would, you would expect somebody that even if they were a Jedi to be broken by. And, no, he's the hero. Yeah. He's, he's not supposed <laughs> to have any real human emotions. He's just supposed to be a, the good guy. He do. He does good things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a Don't good you, guy. Haven't you read the definition of the word hero? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's Luke yeah. Skywalker. Exactly. But um, I think we could get back to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we could talk about the cast because I don't really want to talk about the actual moments. Yeah, yeah the I get that. moments, man. It's just it's sacrilege to give away a Shyamalan movie more than anybody else. Right. Yeah. Like, it'd be different if I don't know if you told me like you saw some uh, small indie movie that wasn't that good and you blew the ending for me. Honestly, it wouldn't bug me. That much. Guys, sometimes we hop on here and we will try to convince you that this three hour movie that we saw like Bardo is worth seeing. And we know that it's hard to get through. And then we talk here and we sit here and we try to make it as easy as to why it's worth getting to the end, too. This movie's an hour and 30 minutes. It's a very tight runtime. It's a fucking blast. So there's no re- anything really worth bringing up because we don't want to spoil anything for you guys. There's all these points of revelation that I don't think you guys should hear on the podcast because they're points when you're in the movie that make the experience fun. So it's kind of like it, it is a hard movie to we're obviously going to talk about movie, moments we might have loved and stuff like that. But we're, we're tiptoeing here in terms of actually giving out too much. Yeah, so don't take it as like, oh, oh, these guys don't have anything to actually say about the movie. They're just rambling. It's just that I just don't want to give anything away. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about the performances and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the actors involved. So hold on. Let me get that up. But uh, other than Dave Batista, I thought uh, Jonathan Groff. And let me get his name because he was the other daddy. Ben Aldridge. That these, these three performances... Oh, man, they're so fucking good, right? Like, they were so uh, believable as a couple, 
and that they were what I really loved about them was that um, and I hope this isn't giving too much away about them being like the, the perfect family is that we see the things that they've been through in life and the the you know the trials and tribulations of how they got to where they are today and um, I like the optimistic sincere look at this family of like they didn't let any of that shit get them down you know what I yeah. mean? Like until now like obviously these things like really scar you and make you who you are but they still have this like and yeah, I'm sure it's corny to some people to be like, but they still have a happy family and a positive outlook on their life. Like they're about to have this wonderful vacation be like until, until they don't. Right. Be like, but I will say that there is an interesting anecdote here that I'm sure has been discussed before, but I did want to bring up just because, um, we haven't ever talked about it. And I do think it's interesting is that there's a lot of shit, um, by like Billy Eichner like last year for like bros and like uh, gay depiction in movies and people not really going out of their way to support um, this movie really normalized me feeling that this was a happy family. It did not matter that, that it was two males. And I think that was, that is the approach that needs to be taken if that's what you want to do with movies and normalize something that to someone in California is very normal, but to normalize it to somebody else, who may not feel this way i think this movie does it the right way um it's not really the tribulations and the issues that come with being a uh, same sex like being with the same sex partner is discussed about like you said it's added to the trauma that they have to their life but it does not stop yeah, because them. i mean like unfortunately if you are a gay couple or a gay man or you know anywhere in the lgbtq spectrum you're going to get fucking shit for it. Yeah. Be like, and that's just kind of like sadly inevitable at this point in human history. Yeah, there's right? just shitty people. Okay. So it, it, it can't not be acknowledged when you tell a gay story. Yeah. Right. But it isn't the, it's weird to say because it, 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 it's not the driving force. Of the no, movie it's not two gay dudes with the kid. No, like and, it's really not. And even, um, I don't think this is giving up, but the fact that the, Dave Bautista and the guys who are showing up to the cabin to make this decision with them um, are very sorry. That. Huh? They keep reiterating. The yeah, that they're that very it sorry. Have anything to do with the it, fact it's that not it's this. You. Yes, it's not. It's, if anything, this is why we think it even sucks more that you have to make this decision. Um, you've suffered a lot. He keeps saying, and we know the weight that you hold on your shoulders is already a lot, but we're going to ask for you to have more. And um, I think that's where the movie kind of becomes beautiful because it's the fact that you kind of do find out through small inserts of flashbacks and in such a tight amount of time to be able to make me feel that they, I did feel their pain and um, how much they might've suffered being a same sex marriage. Um, and simple as another person that I, I did think the kid when or played yeah. by Kirsten Kui, yeah, I think she did a really good job. And oh, I think good like, child acting performance. Yeah, great of, child. Because of what you said, um, like in the beginning scenes and how her curiosity and how she is as a child, um, the whole caterpillar thing, it's very easy to tell a kid to just read them lines. But I did feel that her innocence really sparkled through the film. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I did really end up feeling that they were a family at the end of the day. Yeah, so I, I I did think that a lot of people kind of have lost their shit about this. I don't know if you've seen the the discourse, right? That this is apparently a homophobic movie because it's it's uh, some people I guess did see it as like wow torture porn against a gay couple making them oh, make this. No, I, I didn't like, see You know that. what? I don't know, man. Maybe I'm not one to tell you, but like I don't think you're seeing this movie the way that it was like meant to be seen, or like I don't think that that's what he was going for. So no. if you take it that way, like. 
I don't know. I guess that's on you. <laughs> like, See, because I, I found it interesting that Ben Aldrich, right? He's the dad. He's Andrew. Ben Aldrich was also in Spoiler Alert last year, which was the other, um, besides Bros, was the other gay, gay uh, romantic comedy that was in theaters. Um, with Sheldon. Yeah, with Sheldon. Um, but I just wanted to Sheldon say that looks they're- like a Muppet, dude. He doesn't look like <laughs> yeah, a real person. The, the he more looks he, like a Muppet person. The more he you know ages, I mean? it looks worse, too. Yeah, I know. It's like because he's trying to anti-age. And it's because his face kind of like, and even his hairstyle kind of proves to more like of a kiddish type of face and hairstyle. So it doesn't make sense. Well, I don't know even though. Anyways, but um, I was just saying a movie. We come here to hate on shows. Yeah. <laughs> even the fun. <laughs> even at a, but th- this movie, I think to compare the two in terms of how they're approaching, um, like you said, the in spoiler alert, it's the forefront that this is a gay couple and the tribulations and the very realism that does come with those stories too. Um but here, I think it's it is acknowledged that it's almost even elevated to more of a beauty, and they're almost pure enough to make this decision. That that's what I was gonna get at. So I guess that is a slight. I don't know if that's a slight spoiler or not. So I just I'll just say it to cover our asses, right? Yeah. But that that ends up becoming the thing. It's like no, we're not torturing you because you're gay. It'd be like, and that is what uh, I believe it's Andrew, right? Yeah. He is, he is the one who like throughout the whole movie thinks keeps that's why, right? That this is like. This is like some anti-gay shit, right? Like you guys came here because we're two gay guys with a kid and You're you want to fuck us. with us. And because of the trauma and the shit that he's been through, he's he's on edge all the time. You know what I mean? Of like, of course it is. Come on. No shot. You're just here randomly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you targeted us. But then uh, because of the shit, like what we see with our, uh, with well, most of it's all conveyed through Batista. He's kind of the messenger of the group. Um it's kind of like what you said. It's like, no, the, actually, the fact that you guys have been through all of this stuff and that you still are a happy family is what makes you guys so pure is that yeah. you don't let the outside world, like, put the evil in you. You know what I mean? Like, like you. So, like, that's kind of the thing that he's, like, I felt like Shyamalan, and I guess maybe if this is, I can't speak for the author of the book or whatever, but what it's saying is, like, no, most people are bad, and you guys are not like, the bad people. Yeah, like, that's like, how do you miss that? Because you know I, I, mean? I felt like it was almost glorifying in the hopes that, like, you've been part of all this shit and you still easily decided to, again, I don't think this gives out to many, but, like, when they do uh, adopt when she is a girl that has a condition, right? The lip condition. And, like, it's like you would think, that is that really the thing? Like, that's the baby they're going to pick also, like, to add to the things that people yeah, might add. cleft lip. Yeah, and it's like it's never stopped them, though, because they, they've they been happy and – isn't that impressive, you know? And I think that I felt at the end of the movie that there was a lot of purity to the relationship and the kind of, um, yeah, the relationship that Ben, or sorry, I mean, Andrew and Eric have with each other and the love that they have for Wen. And um, that is comparable to any decision that I, I could put myself in those shoes. You know I what I mean? I thought it was great to see too because, you know, we watch a lot of feel bad movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is, a, this is by the end, I, I mean, are you supposed to feel bad? Or are you supposed to feel good about yeah, what yeah, happens? Yeah. But that it's it's that sincerity that I'm talking about of like it is nice to see a fucking happy family in a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know how many people are just so conditioned to just being like happiness is corny. You know what I mean? Or like being sincere is corny or whatever. But I think it's one of the reasons why um, these types of characters or movies or whatever kind of get shit on is because it's like. 
I don't know. Maybe people are just not as fucking nice as they used to be. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like if this movie, if this, I, I, like it's just it's just so fucking different, man. People are so jaded and cold, and you know, much like fucking Andrew in this movie. You know what I mean? Through yeah, like, through that's kind of how people are now. Yeah, you know, and it's just. It's just it's it's just sad. Because I will say I will say without giving out too much that the concluding scenes to this movie, the last scenes and how um the dads I'm just gonna say that's not spoiled too much, um how it, it ends kinda culminates how this is gonna be another thing that they are gonna get through and that they're gonna there's a there's the bright side. They can see the bright side already. There's a beauty to this to yeah, to like, you know, because they well, it's not like we're giving anything away here because it's in the fucking trailer that one of them is going to have to sacrifice himself if they want to save this would-be, maybe not, maybe it is, apocalypse. Yeah. Right? And for there to be that beauty and that decision of, the you know, the one that they make, it's just, it just it just adds to it. It's that cherry on top of, like, this is why they picked you. This is why God picked you. Yeah, because <laughs> this all happened to you, and now you're both, you know, sitting here. And it flashes back to a moment when they were really happy. They they do something in a moment when they were really happy. And even though we have two characters at the end that are heavily traumatized, it just seems like they'll get through it. Man, between between fucking uh, well, because that now we're talking about what almost two weeks ago now, right? Yeah. Well, I guess so, right? But between the Last of Us episode four and uh, Knock at the Cabin, this was a a big week for the uh, the woke left. Be like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> this was a that was a very gay week for TV and movies. Be like, so you know, there was a ton of people who hated to see it, and the fact that they hated to see it makes me happy to see love it. it you yeah, know? that's why so I love like, it. Good, fuck you. I'm glad pop culture wise that this was an extremely gay week, and I'm glad that you're uncomfortable and that you feel bad about it <laughs> because yeah. you are the problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conservative, yeah, exactly. conservative anyways, tears. Enough, um, enough of my, uh, you know. Like, anyways, let's move on. I, I will yeah, say yeah. that the uh, the kind of continuing on, we were talking about the cast that the um, the three that come with Dave Batista that are part of, I guess at the at the point in this movie, it feels like a cult. We don't get really an answer. We we do. I just obviously do want to spoil it, but let's just say for the sake of this that they are part of the cult that shows up. So we have Sabrina. Adrian and Redmond. So obviously I'm going to talk about Rupert Grant, Grant here because um, he's a Harry Potter boy. Um, maybe the most alienated of the three of the Harry Potter doesn't really seem to make um, be given the chance to be in too many movies that show off his acting prowess. I'm not going to say that he's a bad actor. I just don't really think that Maybe no, he he's, was the forgotten one of the bunch. He maybe he even for a while. A, yeah, for a while. I, mean, I think he's changing that now, you know. Yeah. But but it's the fact that um, I felt this way about him, and I I was interested to see what his character was like, and to see that his character is actually someone who kind of has more importance than I thought, and to also actually really um, very minimal performance. But I did think he did a good job, you know. Um, I, I think very M Night tortured performance. Yeah, like I saw a lot of pain in his eyes, even though we don't get a lot of his background history. Um, but well, I we, think, we do get one key piece of the background. Yeah, well, which, which is, is very, kind of very important to the movie. It, it, it his character is kind of one of the first ones to really we get thrown into, you know the, into the shits with, and I think that how the movie uh, regressively gives him storyline for us to understand is very impressive because um, you would think once the character is um, 
not so prevalent in what's happening at the current moment in the film that you kind of just usually forget about who cares about that person's story. But the fact that it kind of comes back to play a very important, um, I would say even signifier or emotional damage for Andrew um, was where I thought uh, Rupert, that's what like, that's why I do think he did a good performance in this. So what I wanted to bring up about Rupert Grant actually wasn't about his performance, which I did think was great, but was is that, um, you know, he was a famous child actor, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder what that's like when you work with somebody, when you work with the child who's giving a, uh, it feels tough because I love the fucking Harry Potter movies, but to like for, to be in a movie now where a child is giving such a, like a intense performance versus like the kind of, you know, the whimsical fun fantasy movie. You could argue it's harder, right? You could argue it's harder. Yeah. I, right? I, I, but, yeah. Um, what I did think was just interesting, though, is that he's actually someone who has the same experience of her, even though I'm pretty sure she is younger than he was <laughs> but when it, he started still, Harry Potter. But, you know, it's close. someone who's been there, done that kind of mentor them. You know what I mean? Of like, your shit's about to change. Be like, I hope you know that. Yeah. Like, or who even knows if it will? Because he attained a level of fame as a kid that like most people would never... That even most famous people don't. He was in the Marvel too. movies at the time of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like he was a kid in in the beginning of a Marvel thing, and he was a part of it for years. And it might be, and this is no detriment to his whole career. It might be his going to be the most beloved character of all time of anything that he does. But I think that's for a reason. I, but it it um, hey, Ron was great. Huh? Yeah, I don't. It, I haven't watched in a lot of the Harry Potter movies, but I never had any issues with any of them three. That's for sure. Where I was like, this isn't hitting because Ron is unbelievable, you know, or whatever. They're like those movies were like a like a soccer academy or something where it was like, God damn, every single one of them who was in yeah. these movies is good now as an the, adult. They're not. They're they're specifically. The, yeah, I mean, whether you like fantasy, whether you don't like Harry Potter, whether you. Do like Harry Potter, child but don't like it anymore because of J.K. Rowling. Be like, the child acting in those movies is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that's a reason, like you said, that's how you see stable piece. Our boy Pats is in there, you know. That's exactly. why we have a stable piece of actors that we are now seeing that we really enjoy. And, and um, so I, it was a really good surprise and also really good to see Rupert Grant as this as Redmond. Um, the other two, Sabrina and Adrian. I think for Adrian specifically, I just really like the spaz of a character she was. I yeah. think it kind of, um, I liked that all four of them were different. You she kinda, was the only one who was kind of like, yeah, this shit's kind of weird, right? Like, yeah. I know, right? This is crazy. She's whack, but you know. Yeah. Like, so you going to help um, us or not? The one I wanted to bring up, though, was Sabrina because uh, the actress is Nikki uh, Amuka Bird, and mm-hmm. she was an old. Right. Okay. Oh, you so did. Yeah, you did. She gives that. a wildly different performance than she does in old, and I just think it's because the tonal differences in the movie are so fucking far apart. Like my man was really cooking something with old. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You know what I mean? But she gives a much more. Uh, <laughs> I would. It's a. It's usually just kind of like a a catch-all phrase to say like it's more realistic. But no, for real, in this movie, her performance is so much more real, like straightforward, and stuff. Yeah. I mean? Like. If you if, if, this is not only a podcast for Knock at the Cabin, if you've not seen old, you need to just watch that so you can be like, what the fuck? Like, and what we were talking about too with the runtime, right? Old is like two hours, almost maybe two and a half. So then, like, if you're already not in on Shyamalan, and now I'm asking you to give up like a nice chunk of your day to watch it's one of the longer ones, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so. I, I just I wanted to bring that up that she wasn't old and that she's given wildly different performances, but she is a this this just shows you that she's an actress with a lot of range. I will say so that it's, I, it's, I, I, I want to see her in more weirdo movies like this. I will only want to see her in weirdo movies. It seems honestly. like M Night likes her, you know. Yeah. To be able to put her in his last two, 
and like you said, for the roles to be so completely different, he trusts that she could have she has a range, you know. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like this should kind of wrap this up a bit, unless you have anything else you really want to say, because I can't say anything except just I want people to go see this fucking movie. There's okay, just a couple of things like um, because you said this was shot a lot like um, lenses in the nineties. There's two there's, things. Yeah, the lenses. They're literally lenses for, that were created in the nineties. The, yeah. There's a lot of chromatic aberration I felt in this. Like the colors that come out of these lenses are what makes uh, the scenes where um, when is sitting outside, just sitting and uh, kind of picking at caterpillars and sitting in front of the flowers. It the metal looks gorgeous. You know what I mean? Um, but there is a specific scene um, that later kind of becomes important. But it's good old lens flares. You know what I mean? And um, to kind of find out later you're saying that all this was naturally lit really makes people think that was a natural lens flare and um when they're pulled off right um the fact that how it bleeds onto film and how it ends up looking in the final product is one of those beauties i find in just being able to use a camera and um the way it's used in this movie and what it ends up representing and how um, things you might miss because of it, even though it's such a prevalent, it's sparkling in your face, you know, but I, I just really found that out, like outstanding. Again, it kind of goes back to the whole visual style that he went for this movie, but that scene has stood out to me because there's not too many, I can't remember really where the visual cues of the lens flare kind of was so important to the whole film, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, PTA is an avid user of the lens flare for style choices. J.J. Mm -hmm. uh, Abrams uses it just because he likes to rip off Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I mean, I like, But uh, I get what you're saying, man. Like lens flares, if you if you if you really know what you're doing, there's a right way to use them that isn't just style. Because I, I, okay, for example, um, just because we've talked about it a lot, it is my favorite one is di the diopter shot, right? Whenever I do see it, I'm like, oh, I, f I love this. It's, it's not even a crazy thing to do. It's just basically two points of focus. But a lens flare is something I see even less. And I think it's because it's kind of seen as amateurish. But um, when the lens flare are pulled off really well by someone like PTA. It's the, f it's the film school stuff. Yeah, it it's is the, the film school. You learn that in film Before school. the gels, you know what I mean, yeah. and stuff like that. They, they're equal. But, but dude, it's like. Just, some people, man. It just works here so like, well, just, though. You just know? say you don't enjoy movies, man. Be like, you know what I mean? Like, why does he do these things? <laughs> why not? Be like, fuck. Because it rips. Yeah, man. So, I mean, anything else you really want to get off your chest before we move on? Um, no, I'm just, again, I think the cast did an amazing job here. I think that's why this film really works for me. Um, this film was a lot of, is a lot of fun. And um, I, I do wish in some possible way... I could assure that you guys would watch this as you're listening to the podcast because there's very few of the movies that I watch where I realistically think some of the audience members would really like. But this movie, I'll, I'll be there for the cheerleading of it. I think you had a great anecdote of Emmett from movies and they're back with him, you know, and I, I do really agree with that. Yeah, for me, this was another one of those. The movies is back. Yeah. The movies is back. M. Night's cooking. Um, I know that he has. We're on track to have a movie every two years for the next six years because he already has three projects that he's working on at the same time uh or not at the same time but that he's aware of that he's already secured the the you know the financing for so these are for sure coming out so you know more Shyamalan on the way um I will say that I do love that he is the type of director like no I work 
Like I like to make movies. That's my job. I don't want to have a, a life in between. I want to make movies. Like uh, I saw in an interview that he did with uh, Jimmy Fallon that he was like, I was not going to come here tonight if I didn't get the four pages done that I do daily. Like he's a four page a day kind of guy. He was like, I was at three pages and I was like, shit, I'm going to have to cancel on Jimmy Fallon because I, didn't <laughs> I haven't got my fourth page. So I'm just excited that there's so much more coming out from him. I saw in another one of his press junkets that he did that he was like, the guy asked him, like, can you get, can you tell me the title of the next movie? And you hear from off screen his, one of his producers or agent. No, 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 no. And he's like, oh, I want to tell you so bad. Like, <laughs> he's so excited about just where he's at in life and the movies that he's making that it just, I can't help but be excited about it. So I just wanted to say that before we uh, moved on. But I, have, go ahead. I was like, I will say the only spoiler I am willing to confirm in this is that M. Night is in this movie. Like you said, he's a working director. He takes a lot from Alfred Hitchcock. He's in this one. And that's always a nice little funny tad bit too. You know, see. I okay, well, I'll end it here with this before we move on. That his best cameo is in old. In old, I've heard that, yeah. Because it's the most, like, layered meta. It also is like, it means a lot that he's in that, right? Yes. Like, his character is actually integral. Yes. Ex yeah. And, then like, and even in this movie, I don't mind saying it, it is just a small little cameo. Something no, he that said the only reason he did it was because it was really funny. So, he was yeah. Like, yeah, it was really funny. It, it's a Hitchcock cameo. There is in other this times one. where he's not in his movies. He's not in every single one. In every one. single one, yeah. yeah. Um, but okay, so uh, I wanted to move on, do some quick hits. That was really fun to do last time we recorded. So, mm -hmm. what else have you seen recently since the last time we recorded? So, yesterday I saw uh, Consecration. It's oh, I didn't a, think you were going to start with the movie you didn't care about. Yeah, I mean, that is the newest movie that I saw. I think a lot of people have been going out of their way to see it. Um, it's an IFC film. Jenna Malone's in it. Um, yeah, just very standard movie for me. Um, felt like it was half of a good movie. I felt that even though it's not very long, it's only 90 minutes, I felt pretty bored during the middle of it. Um, there's couple good scenes where i think the acting does kind of stand out from certain characters i wasn't expecting but overall pretty run-of-the-mill movie that i think kind of starts to take too much from saint Maud and benedetta and those type of things you kind of talked about it just seemed like there's a style for these religious religion movies is right hot now. again in yeah movies. they're not benedetta though so not really too much of a fan <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me uh i rewatched dune like two nights ago it's just to, just just to reaffirm like yes Yes, you know, and mm -hmm. like Dune 2 is coming out soon. Uh, so more Batista on the way. I really hope that he has a bigger role in this part two. And uh, if they make, you know, uh, more Dunes, I just hope that he's in it more. Um, and then I've actually been watching a, a shit ton of animated movies recently, good and bad. Uh, earlier today, uh, this morning, I watched a, a, a Pokemon movie that I hadn't seen since I was a child. Do you remember the, the one with the unknowns at Entei? Yeah, that's the one. With I, I rewatched that one today. They had with, it on Prime Video with the lion-looking one, right? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I watched Pocahontas recently again. It's just Avatar with people. Yeah. Like uh, I, I unfortunately saw You People, the movie with Jonah Hill and Eddie uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, written by Jonah Hill and Kenya Barris. Uh, set back race relations about fifteen years. Yikes. Uh, I can't even believe they're still making this movie. Like, isn't it crazy if a white person dated a black person? Like. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's it's insane. Uh, Jonah Hill, uh, talk about some like stuff tanking the brand. I feel like uh, mid '90s and then Oosh. the things that he's uh, don't look up. The documentary that he made about his therapist. I don't know why he thought I would want to see or anybody would want to see a documentary about his therapist specifically. 
Um, so <sighs> I don't know, man. Jonah Sucks. Hill stock. I feel like it's really going down. I hated his performance and don't look up. Um, this movie was just fucking awful. Uh, I, this guy needs to work with the prestige director again because, uh, I do think Jonah Hill has become one of those people who's like too mature now to be funny. Yeah. Kind of like Seth Rogen as well, where it's like, I'm glad Seth Rogen has pivoted with something like the Fablemans and like American Pickle. And it keeps doing more stuff like this because I'm like, I don't know, Jonah Hill. I'm pretty sure the comedy chops, like you were just, that's over. You're from a different time. And this new shit that you're trying is just not working. So it's Jover. Yeah. It's Yeah, I recently saw The Mist again, which a lot of people confuse as a Shyamalan film. Uh, the My Hero Academia movie, uh, yeah, I just been watching a, a bunch of a bunch of cartoons, man. I get you, yeah. yeah. I I just to kind of top this off, um, I saw Wild at Heart, which is interesting movie for sure from David Lynch. I always have wanted to see this one. This is the one that really eludes me because I know it's hard to find. Yeah, it it um, I I think you'd really enjoy it. So oh, of I, course, I would um. I finally hopped into the Evil Dead trilogy, checked all of them out within two days. I'm a new stand of those, honestly. Wait, wait, wait. have you seen the 2013 one? Not yet, but you that's gotta the re- check it out but because the I need you to affirm that that they've never made it a bad Evil Dead movie. The only interest of me really wanting to go back and get these out of the way finally was that I didn't get to them during Halloween, and I know that the new Evil Dead, the second one of the new. It's supposed to be a trilogy, or there's no assurance for that. I don't yet. know if that they're. I don't even know if they're connected. It's just that they keep making Evil Dead movies. Got it. But yeah, that is mostly why I even hopped on this. I am looking forward to. So I will report on that soon. Um, two more movies I just want to bring up that I saw. Um, I saw Plane. Um, Did it rip? Talk about a three star. My dad's favorite movies of the fucking year. Um, what a dad movie. Um, there are certain movies that I'm always down for when I read. This is one that I read the premise, and I don't know what else you would really expect out of a movie like this. Um, Gerard Butler kind of just becomes this cool fucking guy who knows how to land a plane, and I don't know what much else you really want. This guy is I would I would trust Gerard Butler with my life. So I don't I don't know. I I enjoyed this movie. Um, I was able to catch finally. This has been in here for a long time, and I just would say like you know today's the fucking day. I watched Under the Silver Lake. Um, which is, I think, <laughs> people's issues with A24, I could thoroughly see in this film, like why somebody could think like A24 thinks this is deep. But I mean, this being a David Roger, Robert Mitchell film, after it follows, that kind of was more of the reason I really want to watch this. I know you have a heavy, you know, almost like underrated feeling for Andrew Garfield. I'm hopping on that train. I do think yeah. that some of the stuff that I've finally have finally seen from him, I'm like, no, this is really good. And uh, Under the Silver Lake, I think, is just my type of shit. I thought it was very Lynchian, you know? Oh, yeah. That thing is wearing David Lynch on its sleeve. It's not trying at all to be like, no, this isn't like David Lynch. But, like, this the is Mulholland Drive. like, no, I wanted to make a David Lynch movie. Yeah, like, this is Mulholland Drive. Um, you know what but, I mean? Yeah, so, you know, wrapping it up, I think I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this, man. Gerard Butler has the career that The Rock was supposed to have. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think everybody knows what I mean by that. Right? <laughs> so uh, that does it for us. Like, comment, subscribe, and thank you for checking back into the Grand Cinema Hotel. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.